his dangerous prayers, installment number two, break me. Now, I was at hospital last night. I was visiting someone. I walked in through the doors. I actually go down there quite a lot visiting people. And uh, I noticed when I walked in, someone had a problem with their hand. Someone else seemed to have quite a bruised face. And um, someone was in a wheelchair. Someone was on crutches. It's not uncommon in a hospital to see lots of people like this. But they were physically very, very broken a lot of them, some in a mild way, some in a more serious way. And I don't know how you feel of this uh, idea of uh, brokenness, and I want to think about human brokenness this evening. And I want to suggest, actually, that in life, all of us end up broken to some degree or other. And I know uh, this is a potentially sensitive to- topic. I want to um, speak about it as sensitively as I can. But the reality of it is, is actually through the course of our life, we often end up feeling a bit broken. We can be broken in all sorts of different ways. Some people, I've met many through their family of origin. There have been dynamics there that haven't been helpful or, or hurtful, actually. Uh, we might be um, um, broken in relationships, uh, either with our parents or with friends or uh, in marriages or in romantic relationships or with relationships uh, with bosses or people in authority over us, and, uh, and we can be hurt in that way. We might be uh, broken uh, by life circumstances or illness. We go bankrupt or suddenly the scan isn't good and we've got to go and see the doctor. We all, no matter how we feel about brokenness, actually experience brokenness to one degree or other. And in my own life, I've experienced uh, a lot of brokenness. I've had all sorts of stuff happen over the years. So I want to suggest as I begin tonight that many uh, people uh, end up feeling broken. Of course, there's a degree uh, to that. But actually, uh, often... In our culture, we often don't see lots of affirmation of brokenness or images of brokenness that are positive. So in our Instagram world, we often hide our brokenness and we carry uh, hidden wounds. We're not like literally in uh, wheelchairs or with slings or whatever, but our wounds are quite hidden. We look good, we sound good, but often we have emotional scars or bruises or things going on in our life. And actually, in our Instagram world where everything looks perfect and the lovely filters and everyone has white teeth and the groups of young people looking like they're having an amazing time, uh, uber, uber happy. Uh, we, we can feel a bit ashamed of our brokenness, so we hide it. And, uh, you know, uh, I think um, um, this is quite common for us all to, to conceal sometimes what's going on. Uh, if we even have the awareness or the vocabulary or ability to vocalize some of what's going in, in our lives, in some of the dark places. Now, I'm telling you all of this not to be depressing. I'm telling you this because actually, uh, we're thinking about prayer tonight. And I want to suggest tonight, brokenness, uh, though all in and of itself a bad thing, actually can be used by God and redeemed by God. And actually, it can have a a positive consequence in our spiritual lives is what I want to suggest. And I want to just think about this in a little bit more detail. And what I want to suggest tonight is that basically 
if you want to have a deep prayer life, a vibrant prayer life, you need to um, have four characteristics, okay? And I want to go through each four characteristics, look at them in this woman's life who, uh, uh, as we shall see, was a broken uh, person and actually see what we can take from it. Does that sound like a plan? So here are four things. Here's the first thing. The first thing I want to suggest tonight that if you're going to have a vibrant prayer life, uh, you need to... Uh, uh, we need to have seeking. We need to be seekers. We need to be people who seek God. Prayer is about doing life with God at a macro level. There's all sorts of ways of praying. There's all sorts of teaching around prayer. But ultimately, it's about doing life with God and connecting with God. And I want to suggest, actually, first things first, you need to be a seeker if you're to have a good prayer life. And actually, this woman uh, is a seeker. We've heard her story tonight. She's a seeker. And one thing that seems to intensify her seeking is that she's quite desperate. And uh, I was thinking about my own prayer life, and I've been thinking, when, when are the times when I've really been really praying like with great sort of enthusiasm and vigor? It's often when I'm feeling quite desperate. I'm, I, I'm, I'm praying for people in desperate circumstances. So I want to suggest with this woman that actually her brokenness, her desperation actually causes her to seek God. And it's clear, you know, we're all called to seek God, aren't we? Uh, 1 Chronicles 16:11, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually. Or Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on the sons and daughters of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek him. We're called to be seekers. This woman comes to Jesus, as we've heard. She seeks him, and uh, she does so out of desperation and brokenness. We know from verses 36 and 37 that actually she's lived a sinful life, a life, it sounds an odd thing to say, a sinful life. It's about a life that's fallen short of all God's hopes for her. And uh, actually, she's come uh, to the Pharisee's house, Simon the Pharisee, uh, who's this religious leader, and she's, she's basically come, and she sought out Jesus. And uh, it's not um, duty that's brought her there. It's not that she's a good Christian lady, and um, she's, she's trying to do the quiet time thing and be dutiful. It's her desperation that has brought her to Jesus. And I notice in my own life, when I do feel desperate, I pray a lot. And often desperation, brokenness, is what leads us into God's um, presence to seek him. As you know, I've had an addictive story. That's part of my brokenness. I've been in 12-step programs over the years. And I think you see this brokenness uh, leading to seeking coming out in the 12-step programs. I don't know whether, I won't ask anyone to um, reveal whether they're in these programs, but basically, uh, the step three, there are 12 steps. The first three say this, I just want to read them. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over whatever the addiction is, that our lives have become unmanageable. That's the first step when you seek to get recovery from addiction. I, you know, I'm broken, I can't do it. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could to restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. In other words, hey, I can't cope. I'm feeling broken. Uh, I actually can't do this. I'm going to open my life to God, and I'm going to seek God. So I don't want to be labored here, but actually um, brokenness can be used by God to actually um, lead us to seek him. 
Uh, it's a simple point I want to make. And seeking God is incredibly exciting because we're promised that when we seek God, we find him. Now, we've been singing tonight these amazing songs about this amazing God. Imagine actually encountering God and being able to find him. What well, we do when we seek, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Proverbs 8, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Uh, Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door, the flipping door will be opened. This is the promise of God. So uh, can I encourage us as we think about prayer to think about seeking and if we're feeling a bit broken or in one of those seasons of life where we feel fractured or bruised to actually um, come to God, this God who you find uh, when you seek. And I would encourage you to actually this year press into God and seek him. And um, I would give you three tips. First of all, work out how you tend to encounter God with your personality, with your spirituality. What actually helps you find Jesus? Is it reading the Bible for hours on end? Is it going for a walk in the countryside? Is it just being still and silent? Is it being contemplative? Is it being on your own? Is it worshipping? Is it doing life closely with another group? Whatever it is, identify that and prioritize it this year. Uh, Tip two, diarize how you're going to seek God, how you're going to do this, because it doesn't uh, just happen. And uh, tip three, can I encourage you to be really persistent and bold in your seeking? Don't miss what this woman's done. I don't know whether you've ever done this. I've done this a few times, gate crashed a party. I've never gate-crashed a dinner party. Uh, she gate-crashes. It's dangerous for her to be here. She is a, she's feeling broken. She's vulnerable. Um, you know, she's a prostitute. She's abused by men. She's hated by women in the day. And she just goes into where? Into the local barn? No. She goes into a religious leader's house, Simon the Pharisee. And she just, uninvited, goes and finds Jesus. So that's the first thing. Are you with me so far? Seeking. Secondly, the second thing you need is adoration. I want to suggest if you are to have a vibrant prayer life, adoration. And I I say that because uh, actually uh, adoration uh, leads to worship. And this woman clearly uh, adores Jesus, verse 37, 38. She comes to Jesus, to Simon the Pharisee's house. She takes this alabaster jar of perfume. She stands behind him at his feet, weeping. Her uh, tears wet his feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. She kisses them, and she pours perfume on them. So this is a, a great act of adoration. You know, when you adore, uh, when you love, it makes you do crazy things. Now, um, you know, when you fancy someone and you're from afar, you know, at school or uni or wherever it is, and then you get that sort of (laughs) feeling, don't you? You know, uh, some of us are too old, we've forgotten it. But... um, (laughs) 
Uh, but you get that feeling, and then you start to do tr strange things, don't you? I remember when I met Bex, I thought, gosh, she's so gorgeous. I thought, I'm a bit chubby. I better try and lose some weight pretty fast. And uh, basically, I started just eating kiwi fruit for about three months. That's all I ate, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I went to see her and her family one weekend, and they were offering me all this food. I was just eating kiwi fruit. I thought I was really weird. They haven't stopped teasing me about it. And, um, you know, you do all this strange thing. This woman basically does lots of uh, real strange stuff, because why? She, she loves Jesus Christ. She adores Jesus, and her adoration leads to worship. You can't be a good prayer. You can't really do life in a deep way unless you're a worshiper. And um, she does this extraordinary things. Just very briefly, her worship is generous. She brings her most precious thing, an alabaster jar of perfume. It's worth a year's wages. And I looked this up on the internet. This is the most expensive bottle of perfume in the world. Guess how much it's worth? Two million, no, that's a bit high. It's, it's, it's only 143,000 uh, pounds. And so she brings this precious thing. It was probably around a year's wages she brings to Jesus. I might get Bex a bottle of one of those. But um, there you go. Her worship is intimate. She wipes uh, Jesus' feet with her tears. It's sacrificial. She pours this perfume over his feet. And, um, you know, she pours the whole lot out, not just a little drop. The whole lot, she gives him everything. She's crazy, she's adoring him, you see. And her worship is very faith-filled, you know, because her, her bottle of perfume, that's about giving Jesus her past. It's how she gets men. And she's saying, I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm gonna bring it to you and, and, and anoint you. And uh, actually, she's giving him uh, uh, his future, or her future as well. Because, you know, that's, that's what she's got. She's giving uh, him everything. So do you see uh, that basically uh, adoration is key to the prayer life of any follower of Christ because adoration leads to worship. And uh, this is really, really important. I don't know what you think of what she did. Simon the Pharisee is really not impressed. He thinks it's all a bit lame. And... Uh, you know, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And he, he, religious people just don't understand things. They're blind, Jesus called the Pharisees, blind guides. And so um, she just doesn't, he just doesn't get it. But Jesus, between verses 40 and 43, tells that, that quick story about two people. Uh, one owes a debtor more money than the other. There's a big debt cancelled and... Because of that, because of what Jesus has done, uh, because of this big debt, she really uh, loves this person uh, more. So how is your adoration of Jesus Christ? That's a good question if you want to think about your prayer life. How is your adoration of Jesus Christ? And uh, can I encourage you to take your passion pulse Take your passion pulse, you know. Um, one of the hazards of following Jesus is that actually our hearts grow cold. And I'm not talking about, I know when you meet someone in earthly terms, um, you get the, all the, the adrenaline rush, all the obsession, all the, the, you can't stop texting, you can't stop checking what's up, all that. I know some of that as, as you grow sort of levels off a bit, but we're called to be adorers of Jesus Christ. 
That's really what we're called to be. And yet our hearts often grow cold. You see this in, in Revelation 3.21, the letter to the church in Laodicea, you know. You're, you're neither hot or cold. And, um, you know, what are you before me, God says to that church. Uh, how is your heart before Jesus Christ? And um, it's worth asking that question um, from time to time. And may I give you a suggestion? I was talking to some friends of mine. They've been married for 30 years. And I said to him, what's it been like? My friend's very honest. He said, you know, we've had the most amazing experiences ever. We've had lots of real boring drudgery. And we've had some awful times too. Uh, But we hit 30 years. And um, we decided to celebrate. So we went overseas. We saved some money. We went overseas. Uh, We did this. We did this. We stayed there. We got the suntan cream. We were running down the beach. Great food. I said, gosh, that sounds amazing. He said, "The thing, you know what the most amazing thing was we did? I said, what? He said, one night we just sat down and we said to each other, this is what you mean to me. This is what you mean to me as I look back over 30 years. And can I encourage you to think, uh, you could even write down what Jesus means to you as you reflect on adoration and worship. Because often our hearts grow cold. Uh, I'm in a slightly cold season at the moment. I don't really know what's going on, but I'm just in a cold season. Uh, But I'm just, uh, I'm going to write down, hey, um, Jesus, this is what you mean to me. Because I've been like that Pharisee woman who's been very broken. I've actually have sought Jesus. And bizarrely, I did find him. And uh, he's absolutely transformed my life and changed my life radically for good. And yet often I can just lose sight of that. Or, I'm a Christian. Six o'clock service. Life group. New pod. But, wow. That was a bit strange, wasn't it? It was almost like that was programmed, wasn't it? This talk is very carefully timed, so I've got to keep going, if you don't mind, for the next ding. Okay, so here we go, point three. So you need to be a seeker. You need to be someone of adoration. Three, you need attentiveness if you're going to have good prayer life, okay? Attentiveness. What do I mean by that? Paying attention to what God is doing. You see, this woman's brokenness enables her to host God's presence. She can host God's presence well. Now, um, what do I mean by that? Well, Bex and I, many years ago, we pitched up in New Zealand. We were, we were out there to plant a church, as you know, and this couple invited us round for um, lunch. They were called David and Dale, and never heard of them, never met them. We didn't know anyone in this city, so we, we said, yeah, I'd love to come for lunch, and we got there, and he, kidding me not, you know, there's... There's beautiful, beautiful food, uh, amazing environment. They couldn't have been more hospitable. There were little notes on the table. I mean, we just felt so welcome and so, like they were really just so excited to see us and they couldn't have been more hospitable. Do you know what I mean? I subsequently discovered that they'd written books on hospitality. I didn't know that. But you see, I remember saying to Bex, I remember saying to Bex, we should hang around here. These people are amazing. Let's be, what a great environment, what a great place. And um, we wanted to stay around. Now, 
What's interesting is that lots of people, lots of religious people struggled to host Jesus in their life. Simon the Pharisee did. He, he wasn't a great host. Have you ever been somewhere where you felt really unwelcome? I was somewhere recently and I just felt really unwelcome. I wondered whether they'd had an argument before we got there or I don't know what was going on, but it was one of those ice, ice things and you sort of say, I've got to go to bed early. Sorry, bye. And... Um, was one of those. But you see, Simon actually wasn't a good host. This woman was a good host. Verses 44 to 47. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which was the normal thing to do in that culture. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, Simon. That was the handshake of the day in those times. But this woman from the time I entered hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't put oil on my head, which is the normal thing. Um, but actually, she's poured perfume on my feet. There, I, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven, uh, as her great love has shown. And so Simon's not hosting her well, but she's hosting Jesus well. And if you're going to have a good prayer life, you've got to be someone who knows how to host the presence of God. Of course, God is always present, but you need to be attentive uh, to God. And uh, here's a few things to think about. Firstly, you need to develop an awareness of God always being with you. At school, you know, like you're packing for school, you think, oh God, it's Monday morning, I really don't want to go, or um, you're at university, your assignment's not quite there, or, or whatever it is, Monday morning at work, you know, God's with you. And are you going to host the reality of his presence with you? He's with you always. When you're in the bath, when you're uh, at school, when you're at work, when you're at the cinema. You all know this, but we often don't live like this is true because we forget. So what you could do, what I sometimes do, I've got this funny watch, and I set a timer for like, I, when, I'm really, when I'm really a bit strange, I set it for every five minutes and it sort of beeps and uh, just reminds me, boom. It's not a beepy thing, it's a vibrating thing. And, uh, and then I stop it, and it just reminds me God's with me. Uh, that's one thing you could try. Uh, good hosts don't quench the Spirit of God, you know. And uh, we, uh, God is with us through his Spirit. Good hosts don't quench uh, the Spirit of God. And um, quench uh, is about pouring fire. It's about suppressing a fire is what the biblical understanding is. We burnt our Christmas tree about two weeks ago. It was kind of on Christmas Day we burnt it. Um, we didn't really. It wasn't Christmas Day. It was a few days after. But you had this massive fire. And then it was quite near the house. So I just, I just chucked on with my middle son, Harry. I just chucked on a few big buckets of water. Suppress the fire. You can suppress the fire, uh, actually, when you, when you live in a way that doesn't um, accord with what God uh, wants us to live, with his standards, with his ways. And so people who host God's presence watch their ways. They take holiness seriously. And uh, this uh, encourages just Jesus to walk closely with us, like this woman did. And then thirdly and finally, this little tip, don't um, grieve the Spirit, Bex and I was sitting in the kitchen the other day. She pointed out the window at the tree and said, can you see that, Mike? I said, what? She said, that in the tree. I said, I can't see it. What is it? She said, it's a dove. Said, oh, yeah, it's a dove. Holy Spirit is pictured as a dove, very timid bird. And we were looking at it. Oh, isn't that great? And then it flew away. You can grieve the Spirit uh, uh, in, in a number of different ways. Lying, uh, being mean to people, um, 
you know, um, dishonoring people, um, being really angry, getting very bitter and resentful and not sorting stuff out. You can grieve the spirit and not host God's presence. So are you with me on that? Are you still with me? Do you want to hear number four or should we just call it a night? Number four, expectation. Uh, This woman's brokenness fuels her faith in who Jesus is and what he can do. And uh, actually, um, you know, they think, don't really know, this woman's story appears in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, They don't know much about her, but they think she probably uh, encountered Jesus before this night, possibly came to faith, and has come to find him. But actually, it's clear that she has great expectation uh, in him and what he can do. And actually, it's clear that Jesus validates her and affirms her, 48 to 50. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, blah, 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 blah. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so, actually, um, she uh, has expectation. You see, if you've got no expectation that God's going to do anything when you pray, um, you're probably not going to pray. And you uh, uh, will have had prayers that aren't answered. I've had many, many prayers that haven't been answered. And on occasions, that's been very discouraging. I've given up praying. And in other words, I've had no expectations. But actually, um, it's important that we'd have a vibrant prayer life to actually keep coming to this God for whom nothing is impossible.